everyone, it's Lou Rosenfeld, and you are listening to the Rosenfeld Review Podcast with guest Aaron Hoffman-John. Hey, Aaron, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the show. Uh, Aaron is speaking at the Design Ops Summit in uh, November uh, here in New York. Uh, however, you are in California right now, right? Yes, I am out in Silicon Valley. And... Um, you just turned me on to some uh, interesting information that I had not known. Uh, somehow I don't know everything. And that is that um, besides being the CEO of Sense of Wonder, which is uh, an independent game development company that uh, makes games that are fun first educational games, that I didn't know. But what I didn't know is that you are teaching game design at a program uh, that I had no idea existed, the Entertainment Technology Center. So you can get a degree in entertainment technology and that you're teaching it at Carnegie Mellon, Mellon Silicon Valley campus. And I had no idea there was a Carnegie Mellon Silicon Valley campus, although I shouldn't be surprised. Right, yeah. Like I said, a lot of people uh, don't know about us out here. Some people, especially in the video game and Hollywood entertainment space, know about the Entertainment Technology Center, uh, largely through one of the founders was Randy Pausch, and we were just coming on the, the 10th anniversary of his last lecture, so a lot of people find it that way. But we are an entertainment technology program out of Pittsburgh, and we're the Silicon Valley satellite campus, where we have mostly second-year students who come out here for one semester. Wow, I had no idea it's been 10 years. Right. That's yeah. incredible. Uh, that's a, that's a, someone who I, I know is really sorely missed. Um, and, um, uh, you know, one of the reasons that we're having Aaron speak at the conference uh, is there's you know, design ops is a new thing, and, and we're kind of sticking our necks out a bit here with this conference uh, to help use that uh, uh, the excuse of putting on a conference and developing a program for it as an excuse to um, to do a little definition of what design ops is. So I'm not a big fan of, of definitions, but I am a big fan of defining, and uh, certainly program development is a way to do that. And uh, we have a, a number of speakers, of which Aaron is one, that are people from outside the user experience design world. And uh, we have uh, Crystal Philcox, who's at the IRS and now at the GSA, Jeff Susna, who's a, a big voice in DevOps, uh, uh, Stephen Pollard's gonna be our closing keynote, who uh, at Arab helps uh, de design and, and construct uh, terminals over many, many years, uh, multiple terminals at Heathrow in London. And Aaron, uh, with your background in uh, massively multiplayer game design, that, that's a really interesting world to think about in terms of operations. Uh, and I'm really interested in getting a taste of what you're thinking about and, and what might ultimately become your talk about what we can learn in the UX design world about the, the, the challenges of operationalizing uh, uh, game design, both in terms of getting people to participate, whether they're players or designers or stakeholders, and, and really, in a way, would it be fair to say you're operationalizing worlds? Yeah, I, I think it is. That's, there have been a few things that have made me really excited about giving this talk. One of them is that when I hear the phrase design ops, I just think, well, how the heck could that even work? And that means that, like you say, it's this big wide open space that's fun to kind of try to fill in. And then the other thing is that as we've talked about what design ops could mean from the video game world is, although we tend not to have design teams on the kind of massive scale that other larger industries might have, 
we do have these online worlds and places where thousands, hundreds of thousands, or even millions of players are working together to create this sort of emergent fictional reality, and we're facilitating that as designers. So there are all sorts of things that we do to try and make sure that that goes well. So you're really talking about scale, only a different kind in a way. Yeah, you're not absolutely. necessarily scaling up the, the development process. You're scaling up the, the platform or you're, you're creating a platform that it basically supports the scale among the user population. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't um, know how familiar everybody will be with makerspaces, but to cer a certain extent, every massively multiplayer online game or even a social game is a kind of makerspace where these thousands or millions of users are working together to create an experience. So in a way, the users and the players are designers themselves, and we're facilitating that creation. Interesting. So if it's, but so you have, quote, official designers, not many of them maybe compared to, let's say, IBM, uh, but you have them. Uh, they have to actually, you know, create something that will launch and, and be sold and so forth. But then the design work doesn't end at that point. You're really seeing the users as designers. And are they all, by definition, designers or, or, or is it pretty gradual uh, or along a graduated spectrum where people can design at, at, to different degrees that you, you plan on in advance? It's very graduated and to a certain extent, I think the longer a person spends in an online world, the greater their participation becomes in the creation of that fiction. Although some users will only want to explore a certain subsystem and we often even joke that World of Warcraft, for instance, is a massively multiplayer or massively single player online game because people can play it uh, by themselves without interacting with the larger world. You know, you're, you're basically making, uh, you're, you're scaling up design by getting everyone involved in some degree or another, whether they're a designer, a stakeholder, a, a, a player. What, where, where do you start in terms of, like, if you had to pick on one raw material that, that you use as your, your starting point, that you make these operations out of, if you will, does it come down to like behavioral psychology? Does it come down to code? Is it is it some is there some other material or starting point that you think of uh, when you're you're beginning the the journey of creating these types of uh, of platforms? You know, game design has been approached as such a craft from a great degree of exceptionalism. I think through its history, from where it kind of emerged out of early computer design. But I do think that if we were to call it one thing now, we probably would call it behavioral psychology, although that creates in some ways some overlap and confusion with some of the gamification stuff, which I think really is motivational behavioral psychology. So we're kind of somewhere in there, but I'm not sure exactly where. As a craftsperson, I guess maybe a, a cleaner way to ask that question would be, what are your design materials? I guess so. I mean, that's the other thing that gets really nebulous with game design. We do a lot of paper prototyping, I think less so for the massively multiplayer online games. We work a lot in digital spaces, and I think, especially with an online game, we're creating directly in the digital space and iterating it with our beta players, usually for very long periods of time. So it's a very organic process. I would also imagine, though, that you, like, at some point there's a story that's interesting yes. and, and at the basis of what grows into a game. There is, and there are different 
approaches to who is creating that story, most of the online games that I've either been a part of or even heard about, the stories themselves are highly participatory and you just need so much content that it's not reasonable to assume that there's one creator. And so often the creation of the story for an online world is a little bit like a campfire round robin where one person is saying one thing and then another person will jump in and say, yeah, and then what if this happened? And it's, it's this group creation. So I'm now trying to think in parallel about what people who are trying to build or manage design operations are, are struggling with. And, you know, so there's like this energy that you are somehow generating or helping people generate. And it, it might start with a story. It might start with how you get them to interact with each other and the compounding of their collective energy, whatever it might be. I imagine there are also barriers or things that get in the way, annoyances, whatever it might be. And a lot of people in design operations are, are trying to generate this energy uh, or get their people to generate this type of energy, but to clear the barriers out of the way, whether those be, you know, things like um, challenges uh, of onboarding and dealing with HR or um, uh, challenges of, um, of uh, reinventing the wheel because uh, design patterns aren't really available. And so they have to end up doing the same work over and over. What's the friction in your world? Oh gosh, there's, there's so much. And a lot of what we talk about even in the soft skills that we teach at Carnegie Mellon has to do with the constituent skills in collaboration, which we talk about a lot in the design space as well. Uh, the yes and brainstorm, uh, what it means to kind of try to reduce ego, but still be invested. So there are so many different skills. And I think my where I even came from in the very first time that I started designing online worlds, uh, when I was a teenager actually, the rules that we had to invent in order to facilitate these participatory stories came out of the, the system of the interactions themselves. So basically, if you're trying to create something that people are highly invested in and they're being very creative, everybody sort of naturally wants to be the hero of their own story. And so how you adjudicate between all of those stories and weave them into something that has a kind of consistency is where things are both exciting and hard. Interesting. So they, they want to be the hero of their own story. That's so in a way your challenge is to uh, enable stories to have multiple heroes concurrently. Yes, that's right. You're making me think of uh, Sleep No More, the, uh, the play yep. that's done here yep. in New York with Macbeth. I'm sure it's done elsewhere as well. Um, so, you know, I mean, this is, it's kind of mind bending to, to think about operationalizing that sort of thing. And, and I wanted to ask you a couple of follow-up questions. One is, do you folks in the, the game design world see this as operations? Do you use that language or do you use a different uh, framing? And the second question is what, whoever they are and whatever they're called, whoever's responsible for that, if it is one person, what, in your world, what makes them successful? What's the sign of a good video game design operations person? You know, I don't think that we do talk about it in terms of operations, partly because we do like to think that every game is its own community and it, it's sort of more humanistic than that. The idea of operations is a separation, but then also in, intrinsic to some of the friction that has always existed in online games is the separation between the player, between the user and the creator, mm -hmm. because I think nowhere else 
nowhere more than in online games is that separation blurry. I think that one of the characteristics that I've always associated with high quality online game designers is their ability to collaborate with users and their ability to listen to the users. Because when you're creating these large online systems, you have a, an almost an engineer's desire for perfection and balance in the system and how things are going to work. And then users crash into that and they totally use it a different way. And your ability to be flexible and humble and to run with their ideas, but also um, predict where they're going to kind of go off the rails and pull them back into the story, that's kind of where the art sits. So interesting. So the, the fact that there are these places where the user experience runs off the rails uh, and that you have to address and bring them back, as you said, you know, suggests that there are some sort of, I don't know, frontiers or areas that are uh, really unknown to the designers. And um, that's not surprising given you're developing whole worlds. Um, is that who is responsible for sort of stepping back and, and saying, well, we have data that suggests that there are certain places where um, people get lost literally mm. in, in frontiers of our worlds. And, you know, one of the theories that I have is, is that uh, design operations people have to be responsible, not just for the day to day, care and feeding of the platform, but to, to kind of plumb those liminal areas and figure out whether or not they are areas that are part of the platform. So someone has to figure out, well, we have to ex extend the, the frontier, extend the boundaries out. Is that something that, I mean, you have many designers, you have many people using your games, who, who sort of steps back and puts it all together and says, yay or nay? Yeah, ultimately that is, it's usually some kind of general manager or creative director of the product as a whole who is working with a team or um, a, a set of people which may have their own hierarchy of, of data analysts who are primarily data mining the game system itself for what's going on inside of the system and saying, hey, the users of this particular type, like say the warriors are uh, consistently losing against the mages. And so why might that be? And they're having, you know, they're reporting lower NPS as a result. Mm -hmm. And this is all fairly modern in online games that we would have analytics at that level. Before we had that, we had player forums and you had these highly invested players who would self-report, hey, we keep having these battles and this side is winning and this side is always losing and it's not fair. And then the uh, game developers would adjudicate that conflict. Well, that's fascinating because you've just described uh... Uh, a swing between qual and quant data analysis uh, that that's like a very similar to what we experience in the user experience world. Yep. Um, and uh, uh, is there, by the way, is there, did the qual, uh, data go, I mean, well, did the qual go away? Is it all data mining now or, or, or is it a combination? Well, it depends on who and where you're talking about. In some places, the quant wins, and in some places, the qual still has a place. I think that uh, within the massive fantasy online games that have rich player communities and long, sustained engagement, you have pretty high qual presence, especially in the form of your community managers, mm -hmm. who also in a healthy ecosystem become extensions of the design team themselves. And the, are the community managers typically employees of the, yes. the game company? Okay. 
They are, and they'll, but there's a, a graduated, you know, like there's a gradient as well between user and community manager and um, sort of back in the day, that's also, you, you would have this progression from beginning player to invested player to active in the online forums to maybe community manager or assistant game designer and then full game designer all the way up to creative director where it was one big blended section. Wow. And again, I mean, there to me, I look at this now, so I look at so much now through the lens of operations and I'm thinking, wow, there's like a whole bunch of decision making that has to happen in order for those rules to, to get refined and for those sort of boundary areas to be kind of worked through. Um, and it may be a very different language that you use, but um, there's there certainly a lot of parallels. I know a term uh, that, we've talked about in prior conversations uh, is fish tank. Right. Do you want to dig into that a little bit? Yeah, I've been running with this term. I, it's, it's really funny. So uh, Raf Koster, who's a very famous online game designer, recently gave a talk about uh, online games and used this fish tank metaphor. And it is striking to me. I didn't even realize that Raf was a fellow fish tank aficionado, but I think that it's not coincidental that uh, a lot of online game designers are fascinated by fish tanks fundamentally, which are these very complex, kind of opaque, but with notable highlights, and you know when things are going really well, you know when things are going very badly, but there are all of these different inputs and outputs that are at work inside of this little tank inside your house. And so every time a new species joins, things change. And exactly. Well, that might be a, a, a great metaphor for us all to use when we're thinking about any kind of operations. And uh, I'm hopeful that uh, you'll introduce it uh, when you're speaking at Design Ops uh, next month in New York. And uh, uh, even if you don't get to it, I think we've covered a, a lot of really fantastic ideas today. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more when you give your talk. And uh, Really appreciate your joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much. And there will definitely be fish tanks. All right. Well, uh, if you want to hear Aaron Hoff and John speak about fish tanks and more, uh, join us at the Design Ops Summit in early November, uh, November 6th through 8th in uh, Queens, New York. Queens, uh, the new Brooklyn. It's been great having you. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.